All right. Well, church, we're going to be continuing our series in John chapter 8 this morning. So we're going to open up the Word of God, John chapter 8. And um, we're kind of passing over. I know we didn't get much into chapter 7. Um, but we're going to be in John chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 31 and go through verse 59. Uh, so as you're turning there, I'll set some context for you just to kind of catch you up on where we are. Um, so many people, uh, Jesus has, uh, has been teaching uh, the people starting in, in chapter 8. And in verse 30 of John chapter 8, we, we read that as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So there are more and more people who are beginning to believe in Jesus. There's crowds that are, that are following him. And, uh, but in verses 31 through 59, what we're going to see is there's a conflict that's going to arise between Jesus and some of these Jews who believed here in John chapter 8. And that conflict between Jesus and those who believed in him escalates into a pretty surprising conclusion by the time that we get to the end of the chapter. So we're going to go ahead and read John 8, 31 to 59, and then we're going to go back through and we're going to unpack what is happening here. So uh, let me read God's word. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen behind me as well. But if you do have your Bible, I'd encourage you to, to turn to it and open up and read along. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. 
Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, and yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between the division of bone and marrow, discerning the intentions of our hearts. Lord, your word is so glorious, so powerful, I could just stop right now and go sit down. We've just read the testimony to the truth right there. But God, I pray that, that as, I, as I teach, and I pray that you would help me. Um, God, I need your help. I need you to help me apply this to my life. We need you, Holy Spirit, to, to help us hear and understand your word and help us apply it to our lives. God, we just read some astounding truth. And... Lord, things that are too great and too awesome and too mighty for us. And we need your help, oh God, to even discern and understand. Lord, we want to know you. Jesus, we want to know you. And so I pray that you would help us to do that this morning. I pray for anybody here, God, who doesn't know you, who's not born again. Lord, as we talk about what tr- what a true disciple of Jesus looks like today, Lord, there may be many here who... Like these false believers we just saw in John 8, there may be many here this morning who claim to know you, but they don't. And I pray that today, God, you would wake them up and that you'd give them true spiritual sight, God, so that they would not perish on the last day. God, please help us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So... In this passage, we, you know, in verse 30, we see there's many people who've believed in Jesus. And then right in verse 31, you'll notice it says that Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. So this whole inter- interaction, this whole exchange is, is going on between Jesus and people who believe him. Not like his opponents, not the mean Pharisees that we read about who are they're constantly fighting each other, right? This is between Jesus and those who believed him. And we get a sense that something might be amiss right off the bat in verse 31 when Jesus says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. 
So implied here is that if you do not abide in his word, then you are not truly his disciple. There were some among this group who appeared to believe Jesus, but they weren't true disciples. And what unfolds in verses 31 to 59 prove this to be true. In fact, by by verse 59, those who believed in verse 30 were trying to stone him. What happened? What happened between verse 31 and verse 59? Well, Jesus forced the issue. Jesus often does that. He he gets down to the motives of the heart. While many people claim to believe in Jesus, Jesus examines the motives of the heart by shining the light of truth on us. And that's exactly what happens here in verses 31 to 59. In this passage, Jesus does two things. First, he unmasks the ugly truth about who we really are apart from Jesus. And he also presses home the truth about who he really is. So he shows us who we really are apart from Christ, and he shows us who he really is. And it's when coming face to face with the truth about who we are and about who Jesus is that true believers are distinguished from false believers. It's important that you know for yourself if you are truly a disciple of Jesus. Because the worst thing that that could happen would be for you to assume that you and God are good, and then to hear those terrible words on the last day, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus says in Matthew 7 that many people will hear those words on the last day. It's not an anomaly. It's not one or two. Many will hear those words on the last day. And so my aim in this sermon, with God's help and by His grace, is to open up God's word for you so that you can clearly See what distinguishes a true disciple from a nominal believer. Because I do not want any person in this room to hear those words, I never knew you on the last day. That's my desire. That's why this text is in the Bible. That's why I'm preaching this sermon this morning. is so that no one in here will hear those words on the last day. Experience in Scripture tells me, though, that there are many in this room right now who, if you were to die today you would, in fact, hear them. So please listen this morning. Please listen. Have ears to hear. Let's let's look at what Jesus says about who we really are and about who he really is. First, let's talk about who we really are apart from Christ. So in his exchange with these uh, Jews who claimed to believe in him, uh, there are kind of three claims that they make. Um, in response to Jesus. So the first thing that they say to Jesus is that we've never been enslaved to anyone. So what initially drew the ire of these professing believers was when Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And as soon as Jesus says that, they go, wait, 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 wait a minute. We're not, we're not slaves to anybody. We've never been enslaved to anything. The very suggestion that they might be morally and spiritually in need was offensive to them. They objected that they were not spiritual slaves, but they were children of Abraham. And so Jesus responds in verse 34 and 35. He says, no, no, everyone who sins, who practices sin, is a slave to sin. So Jesus was telling them that they were slaves to sin, not sons of Abraham. And that is true of every single person who is apart from Christ. Sin is not merely something that we do, it's a disposition of our heart. 
Apart from Jesus, we are unable to break free from the sinful patterns and urges of our heart. That's what it means to be a slave to sin. Our hearts are bent towards preferring and embracing other things to worship in God's place. We, we chase after idols. Now, of course, our sinful nature balks at this truth. We cry out, now wait just a minute. I'm not that bad of a person. I'm a pretty good person. I'm much better than my neighbor. That's, that's immediately what our prideful self wants to do. See, one of the, one of the truly uh, just difficult things about the sinful nature is that it's a, it's a vicious cycle that perpetuates itself. The very sinful nature that causes us to sin also causes us to, to refuse to recognize that we're sinners, that we're slaves to sin. That pride. Our prideful hearts don't want to admit that we're helpless slaves to sin and that we can't free ourselves. And that's exactly how these believers respond here. They protest in verse 39. They go, no, 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 Abraham is our father. So that's the second claim they make. They say, we're children of Abraham. Well, what what are they actually saying when they say that? Well, they're not just claiming to be descendants of Abraham, but they're claiming to morally measure up to being a child of Abraham. It's the first century Jewish version of saying, I'm a good person. But Jesus called them out. He says, says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. Like you would actually reflect Abraham. You would look like Abraham. But you're not doing what Abraham did. You're seeking to kill me. A man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Now, of course, in earlier in chapter 7, we didn't get to read it, but they, when Jesus told them, you're trying to kill me, they said, who's trying to kill you? You've got a demon. You're crazy. But we know exactly, we can see that they did have murderous intent in their heart by the time we get to verse 59. So in essence, what Jesus is saying to them here is your walk doesn't back up your talk. You've heard the, the phrase, like father, like son, right? It's important to understand that it is not merely what we say, but how we live that reveals the true condition of our heart. Jesus said in Matthew 7, a tree is known by its fruit. So just because we say we believe in Jesus or honor God doesn't mean that we do. The way to tell if we truly believe in Jesus, if we truly honor God is, do you bear the family likeness? Are you becoming like Jesus? Do you look like your Father in heaven? Is the fruit of the Spirit present and growing in your life? I don't, and by that I don't mean are you doing religious things like going to church and tithing or serving the needy. Those are all great. But what I'm talking about are the actions flowing from your life. Are they indicating a heart that's being made holy? Are your actions, like what you say, what you look at, what you listen to, in private and in public, are they godly? And if they're not, don't deceive yourself by saying, Abraham is my father. I prayed a prayer. I was baptized. You can say it all you want, but your lifestyle indicates who your true father is. Like father, like son. Jesus told these believers that their actions revealed that they, they had a father that they were modeling, but it sure wasn't Abraham. 
And they, so now they're getting aggressive. They respond aggressively. They say, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So what is this? This is a jab at Jesus. Like, yeah, we know your mother Mary wasn't, wasn't married to Joseph when she got pregnant with you. We know about your past, Jesus. Who do you think you are to tell us that we're not godly? You're born from sexual immorality. So now it's getting personal. And then they make, they, they up the ante, and the third claim they make, they say, we're children of God. So they're, they're basically saying, look, we don't know who you think you are, Jesus, but at least we weren't born out of wedlock. God is our Father. So things are getting testy now. And now the ugliness hidden in the deepest recesses of the heart is beginning to come out when, as Jesus is confronting sin. But once again, Jesus calmly but firmly confronts this claim. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I come from God and I am here. The greatest litmus test for whether or not one truly loves God is whether or not they love and embrace the Son, Jesus Christ. By their rejection of Jesus, they were showing what they truly thought of God. This is an important principle. No matter how highly one may claim to think of God, if that person does not love and embrace the Jesus of the Bible and all of his teaching, then they neither know nor love God. And at this point, in verses 43 to 47, Jesus really bores down to the root of the issue here. He exposes the reason why those apart from Christ reject the truth. Look at verses 44 to 47. He says this. He says, you are of your father, the devil. Now the gloves are just come off, right? Jesus is just being blunt with him and he's just telling him like it is. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. But when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Then Jesus says, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is one of the most pointed and startling descriptions of the sinful nature in the Bible. And keep in mind, again, I want to, I'm going to keep reminding us, Jesus is talking to those who had believed in him. These are not pagan cannibals or people practicing sorcery or seedy individuals. These are religious people. These are like the, the upstanding citizens in Jerusalem. What Jesus is driving home is that no matter how nicely you dress it up, the sinful nature is still driven by murderous intent and lying bent. It is. And it doesn't matter what we cloak it. So let's just summarize what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying about those who are apart from Christ. He's saying you are, first of all, a slave to sin and unable to justify yourself before God. He's saying that you are a child of the devil seeking to do his will. He's saying that you're hostile towards God and towards His Word. You have murderous intent towards God. And He's saying you cannot bear the truth because you embrace the lies of the evil one. That's what Jesus... This, are not, this is not Jared's Word. This is straight from the Bible. 
Now, how does that sit with you when you hear that? At first glance, like the, the Jewish believers here in this passage, maybe you kind of bristle at that, kind of stiffen up in your seat. You're like, I don't, I don't like that. Now, like, Pastor Jared, how could you say that everyone who's not a Christian has murderous intent towards God? That seems a little bit extreme. Like, most people have a high opinion of Jesus, even if they don't fully embrace all of his teachings or his claim to be God. But that doesn't seem like hatred, right? Like, maybe just a little bit misguided. They don't hate God. While it may appear to be a high opinion of Jesus that they have, it's a high opinion of a Jesus of their own making, not the Jesus of the Bible. By rejecting the Jesus of Scripture and His words for a different Jesus, they are in essence saying, I refuse to acknowledge your existence. I wish you did not exist. I reject you, Jesus, and I choose a different Jesus. Friends, that is precisely what murder is. It's to wish that you didn't exist, so I'm going to cancel you. I'm going to eliminate you. I'm going to reject you. While the true intentions of a heart hostile towards God may be veiled in polite disagreement from afar, when confronted with the truth about who we are apart from Jesus and about who Jesus is, the ugly of the sinful, underbelly of the sinful nature will be exposed. And we see it play out in these following verses here. The very people who were so eager to believe in Jesus became enraged when he told them the truth about who they were and about who he is. In verse 51, Jesus says, If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. They understood that Jesus was making a significant claim about himself. So they, re- they retort, are, are you saying you're greater than Abraham and the prophets? Like Abraham and the prophets died. Are you actually claiming that you're greater than Abraham? But Jesus wasn't done. He clarified even further just so that there was no un- misunderstanding about what he meant to say about himself. Look at verse 56 again with me. Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. So Jesus is like, hey, you know Abraham, the guy that you claim is your father, the one that you claim to know? Yeah, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And then he says, and he saw it, and he was glad. And so they say, the Jews say to him, they're like, what? Like, you're not even 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? Like, are you crazy, bro? Like, that's what they're saying to him. And then Jesus says the most, one of the most astonishing statements in all of Scripture. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is invoking the name of Yahweh. Yeah, I saw the mic drop right there, right? That's right. That's right. That's the ultimate mic drop. Jesus is invoking the name of Yahweh, the great I am, the name of God. That was the name that the Jewish people, they wouldn't even say God's name. They revered Yahweh as so holy. They wouldn't even say it. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am Yahweh. The very actions of the Jews in response to Jesus revealing himself as God proved Jesus' point. Because what did they do? They pick up stones to stone him. They revealed their murderous hatred for the truth when the truth stood before them and confronted them. 
the response was a rejection of the truth and murderous intent. Have you ever wondered why the two hardest things to talk about in evangelism are the reality of sin and judgment and the exclusivity of Jesus as the only way to salvation? This is why. This is when the fangs of the evil one come out. People are very polite and agreeable if you talk about Jesus' love, even about how he died on the cross, even about how he rose from the dead. But when you drill down on who we truly are apart from Christ and on who Jesus truly is, the line gets drawn in the sand. That is when hostility towards the Father and towards the Son, Jesus Christ, is most clearly seen. And it's the default response of man towards God in his sinful nature apart from the gracious working of God in our hearts to change us. This is why people collect for themselves preachers and teachers who will tickle their ears and avoid saying anything that might upset the apple cart. It's because no matter how nicely dressed the sinful nature may be, they hate God and follow the devil who has hated God from the beginning. That's just the bottom line. So what needs to happen? What needs to change? Well, the only way this can change change is you must be born again. Look again at verses 46 and 47. Jesus says, If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. So that means that if you're not of God, you don't hear the words of God. And then listen to the second part of verse 47. Jesus says, the reason why you do not hear them, meaning my words, is that you are not of God. Now notice, verse 47 does not say, the reason you are not of God is that you don't hear my words. It doesn't say that. What does it say? It says, you don't hear my words because you are not of God. So the reason that that they don't hear is because they are not of God. In other words, they have not been born of God. In other words, the reason you don't hear my words, he's telling them, is because you're a child of the devil who loves lies, and you can't accept the truth. Your own sin has enslaved you in the embracing of lies about God. And so the only way to hear and embrace and love Jesus' word is to be born of God. This goes back to our sermon last week when Doug preached in John 6, where Jesus teaches things like in John 6, 44, the Father must draw you. Or John 6, 37, you must be given to the Son. Or verse 45, you must be taught by God. Or verse 70, you must be chosen by Jesus. God is the divine actor. God is the one that does the drawing because we are dead in our trespasses and in our sin. Ephesians 2, one of the best passages that just makes this clear. I'll read Ephesians 2, 1 to 5 for you real quick says this, it says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Speaking to Christians. following Now, now listen and see if we don't hear the exact same thing that we've been talking about in John 8. This is true of all Christians. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? That's Satan. So right here in Ephesians 2 it says, If you're a Christian, you used to follow the devil. And if you're not a Christian, you're still following the devil. 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But then this glorious verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us. Loved who? People who followed the devil. People who followed His enemy. People who followed the one who hates Him. He loved His enemies because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's gospel. That's good news for people who know their sinful state apart from Christ. I want to be clear, just so that there's no misunderstanding, that every single person, Jew or Gentile, either is or was a slave to sin and following the devil. So if you're a Christian who believes Jesus and His Word, it is only because of the merciful grace of God. No Christian can ever boast in his or her salvation. No Christian is standing around here looking down our nose and going, well, at least we don't follow the devil like these people out here. We're Christians. We're godly people. We're not like all these pagans out in the world. By no means. If you say something like that, it means that you don't understand your own sinful nature and what you've been rescued from. You don't understand the grace of God if that's your attitude towards other people. We don't look down on those who are still enslaved to sin and to Satan. We pity them. We pray for them. We plead with them to receive the same grace of Christ that we have received so that they can be set free because we were once enslaved to sin. And as Jesus says in John 8.32 there, it's through the knowledge of the truth that we've been set free and that truth is Jesus Christ. When we place our faith in Jesus, He gives us spiritual eyes to see ourselves as we truly are and to see Him as He truly is. You know, the sinful nature, as we see here in these false believers in John 8, wants to justify self. Wants to deflect God's word when it comes with the conviction of sin. I'm, I'm not a slave to sin. That's offensive. I'm a child of God. I do good deeds. I'm not, like some of, I'm not evil like some of those other people out there. That's the voice of a prideful and unhumble heart. But the one who knows and loves God, who understands the truth about himself, when they hear things like, apart from Christ, we're enslaved to sin, we, we once followed the devil, we, we respond like David did in Psalm 51, verse 3 and 4. David says, I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment, God. Those are the words of one who knows the truth about himself. That he's a sinner, unable to justify himself, deserving of God's judgment. But they are also the words of one who knows the truth about God. That he is merciful, that he's steadfast in love, and that he's eager to forgive humble and contrite hearts. Later on in Psalm 51, David writes, he says, you will not reject a broken or repentant heart, O God. 
No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God will not reject a broken or repentant heart, period. The only thing, can I just be honest with you? Like, I don't know where you are this morning. But the only thing that can keep you from God this morning is your own prideful heart. If you lay down your pride and you humble yourself before him and, and, and stop trying to deflect and to justify and yourself and, and try to explain yourself away, like God knows. He already sees your heart. He knows what you've done. He knows everything. Like there's no sense in trying to justify yourself because you don't need to. Like we can come to God and, and before him and say, God, I am guilty as charged, but I appeal to your mercy and your mercy alone. And when you do that, he will not turn you away. He will extend grace and forgiveness towards you. He will receive you. How does the truth about yourself and the truth about Jesus strike you? Do you find yourself resisting Jesus and his word this morning? Or is your heart responding, yes, I agree with God. I know I need Jesus to change me. Well, if that's you, I've got good news for you. As Jesus says in verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How does that happen? How does the truth set us free? Well, Jesus sets us free from slavery and sin by breaking us free from sin's penalty and from sin's power over our lives. So Jesus died to take the penalty we deserve. The righteous anger of God towards rebels who wished to murder him was poured out upon his son in our place. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross, to take the punishment we deserve, those who were once his enemies. So that means that if you place your faith in Jesus, if you're a true disciple, you'll never face condemnation for your sin. And if you're a true disciple, you will never see death. Because Jesus is alive, you're united to him by faith. You will live forever. That's what John 8 teaches us. That's what he freely extends to you and offers you this morning. You can have that today. Like today. And not only that, not only does Jesus free you from sin's penalty, he frees you from sin's power so that you're no longer a slave to sin. Because see, when we trust in Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5 says we become a new creation. So our old self that was enslaved to sin is dead and gone, and we're raised to walk in new life. That's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to baptize a young man later on uh, today, and that's what baptism symbolizes. So when I baptize Perez, when he goes up under the water and I say, you've been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in new life, what that symbolizes is that the old Perez is dead and gone. The one that was enslaved to sin, he's now filled with the Holy Spirit, raised to walk in new life. He's got a new heart that loves God, that hates sin, and wants to grow in holiness. Amen? And if that's not true of you, it can be true of you today. We will help you begin that journey of following Jesus, of being a disciple. Come and talk to us right after the service. What distinguishes a true disciple of Jesus from a nominal believer is that a true disciple loves and obeys Jesus and his word. That's the bottom line. A true disciple loves and obeys Jesus and his word. Just like verse 31 says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Let me close by applying what it means to abide in Jesus' word briefly here, since that's the evidence that one is truly a disciple. What we've kind of seen taking place here is, remember we started this off, you know, what's, what's the, the difference between a true disciple and a false disciple? And what we see happen in John chapter 8 is that these false disciples get exposed, right? Their, their belief in Jesus 
gets exposed when they're confronted with the truth. So I want to show you some ways that tangibly shows up, uh, that this tangibly shows up in the life of a disciple, like what it looks like to abide in his word. So three quick things. First, a true disciple will receive Jesus' word. So this might seem simple enough, and it might seem obvious, but it needs to be said. The false disciples of John chapter 8 revealed their hearts when they were confronted with the truth about themselves and about Jesus. They didn't welcome Jesus' teaching. They, they rejected it. So a true disciple of Jesus not only received Jesus' word, but they rejoice at Jesus' word. The truth about who we are and about who Jesus is in this passage is meant to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. It's an old saying that preachers, that preachers talk about. We want to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So if you're a true disciple, this passage is a comfort because we can readily agree that we consistently fall short of God's righteousness. Right? We bemoan our inability to consistently do what pleases God, but we also rejoice that although we are a great sinner, Christ is a greater Savior. So we are truly Jesus' disciples, not by our own effort, but because we believe He's the Son of God who died for our sin. But John 8 also is meant to afflict the comfortable. It's meant to wake up the comfortable, the nominal believer, from his or her slumber. We were, we were going through our new Bible reading plan in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 3, one of the seven letters to the seven churches, Jesus writes to the church in Sardis, he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Now, I fear that there are many who are asleep in churches across America. Now, let me plead with you not to harden your heart against Jesus and his word as these false believers in John 8 did. He is patient and merciful, giving you time to repent, but a day of judgment is coming. So please, I pray that this is a wake-up call for you this morning if you have been not reflecting your Father in heaven. Secondly, a true disciple will read Jesus' word. So it's hard to abide in Jesus' word if you don't know it. Abiding connotes believing, trusting, applying. It literally means to remain in. So it's difficult to imagine how one could truly love Jesus and his word and never read it, or meditate on it, or memorize it. So the Bible is the very Word of God. Psalm 119 reflects the heart of one who loves God and His Word. Um, for example, in verse 20, it says, My soul is consumed with longing for your decrees at all times. Verse 97 says, How I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Verse 127 says, I love your commands more than gold, even the purest gold. You cannot abide in Jesus' word like true disciples day by day if you don't know his word. Now, there are all sorts of things competing for your attention and your affection. You know, with phones in our pockets, we're tempted to spend all our free time escaping reality instead of meeting with God. We're better at playing without ceasing than praying without ceasing. I'm calling us back to a serious commitment to abide in the Word of God. 
We've got, a, as I said, a new Bible reading plan. I'd encourage you to go pick that up. If you, don't, if you haven't been consistent in reading Scripture, if you don't have a plan, I always tell people, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So read along with us. It's just one chapter a day. Go and get that Bible reading plan so that we can, as a church, be reading through Scripture together. And if you don't know how to read the Bible, ask your disciple maker to teach you. Sit down and start talking about it. Well, Pastor Jared, I don't have a disciple maker. It is your lucky day because I will get you connected with one. All you got to do is come and talk to me or one of the other elders, and we, will, we would love to get you connected with somebody for discipleship so that you can grow just like Sarah was testifying earlier today. All right. Lastly, a true disciple will reflect Jesus' word. So a true disciple will receive Jesus' word, a true disciple will read Jesus' word, and a true disciple will reflect Jesus' word. 1 John 3, 9 and 10, this is going to sound pretty familiar as well. It's the same John that wrote the gospel of John wrote this letter. It says this, it says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. Now listen here. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So this doesn't mean that true disciples never sin. Okay? It means true disciples do not make a practice of sinning. They cannot make peace with sin. So one encouragement I want to give you guys is that if you sin in your life and it bothers you and you are actively fighting against it, then don't be dismayed or encouraged. Because first of all, if you weren't born again, you'd be making excuses for your sin, not being bothered by it. You'd be deflecting it and explaining it away. So the very fact that it bothers you and you are actively seeking to resist it and fight it is evidence that the Holy Spirit dwells in you and that you are a child of God. So rejoice, okay? The evidence of salvation is not perfection, okay? There's no such thing as a perfect Christian. The evidence of salvation is that you have a heart that has a growing your heart grieves at your sin. Like it bothers you and you want to know Jesus more and you want to grow in holiness. If that's true of you, Praise God. If it's not true of you and you've got sin in your life and you're like, oh, what's the big deal? Who cares? Jesus died for my sin. You should be very, very concerned and very worried. All right. The secondly, the second thing I want to encourage you with is that I want to remind you, if you're a Christian, sin no longer has dominion over you. Okay. You're not enslaved to it. So though you may be struggling with it, it's not going to defeat you. You have victory over sin. The Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you, so by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. You will. It's an ongoing fight. Cling to the promise of Matthew 5, 6. If you're a believer and you're struggling with besetting sin, and you've got the sin, and you're just like, man, I'm so discouraged that I can't overcome this. I want you to listen to Matthew 5, 6. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So believer, if you hunger and thirst to be righteous, if you're like, God, I don't want this sin in my life anymore. I want to be righteous. Can I just encourage you? You will be. He will satisfy you with that righteousness. He will finish the work that he started in you. He's not going to abandon you. He will make you holy. So go forward this week in that confidence and be encouraged. Amen? Amen. All right. So as we close, um, I'm going to ask the, the band to play.
And I just want, uh, I want to urge each of you to examine your life uh, in this moment. So when you look at the way you're living, whose family likeness do you bear? Are you a child of God? Or are you a child of the devil? Don't justify yourself or make excuses like the false believers in John 8. Humble yourself before God today. Don't hear those awful words, I never knew you, on the last day. Instead, realize that God is merciful and gracious. And He wants to welcome you and receive you right now this morning. If you don't think that you're a child of God, you can come to Him today and He will welcome you. If you would like to to place your faith in Jesus for the first time or pray with somebody, or maybe you'd say, I'm not sure if I'm a child of God. I don't know where I stand. We want to pray with you and help you through that. We're going to have prayer deacons in the back there, right outside these doors. So as soon as the team begins to play, please make your way back there and we'll have somebody who can pray with you. But don't pass up this opportunity. If you know God is speaking to you right now, here's what I can tell you the devil wants to do in your life. Here's what the devil wants to do. Jesus told the parable of the four soils, right? And the, the, the uh, sower went and he sowed seed on the ground. And the seed represents the gospel. And Jesus said that some of the seed would fall along the path and, uh, and the evil one would come and snatch it right up before it had a chance to take root. So what the devil wants you to do is he wants to keep you in your seed. He wants you to, you know, you're feeling convicted. You know God's calling you. You know God's drawing you. But he wants to convince you to go, now you can deal with this later. So then, then he can flood your life with distractions as soon as you leave this place. And then you forget all about it. And he's got you again. He's got his hook in you. Don't pass up the opportunity that God is giving you right now. If the Spirit of God is drawing you, listen to Him. He will receive you. Don't put it off. Please make the decision today. Make the decision now. Today is the day of salvation. Make the decision to place your faith in Jesus. So go to the back as soon as we start playing and pray with somebody. And if you're a believer, you need us to pray with you because you're struggling with sin or you're just struggling with discouragement. Come and pray with one of us. We would love to pray with you during this time. Let me pray and then Carrie will play. God, I thank you so much for your word. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're at work in this room right now in the lives of, I know you're at work in people's hearts. I pray right now, God, that you, by your sovereign grace and power, would save your people. God, that you would draw your people to yourself. God, that you would take your sheep up in your arms so that no one will ever snatch them out of your hand. God, do it in only the way that you can. Lord, please, oh God, don't let anyone leave here being deceived. God, please save. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.